Welcome to Attention to Detail, the classical music listening guide, where we give you the tools to understand, appreciate, and enjoy listening to classical music. Hi everyone, we are, we're back here at Attention to Detail, uh, well into the year 2020 now. I think we're past the time where we say Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year anymore. If I right? haven't seen someone yet this yeah. year, then I'll say it to them, but then we're moving, we're moving on. I was watching, you know, the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm is coming out soon, and I've been watching, I watched, like, Larry David was promoing one of his, uh, he, he was promoing the season, and he was saying, it was very Larry David-esque, but he was like, January 15th is the cutoff. Is like, it? you can't, but after that, it's too much, saying yeah. Happy New Year. Before that, it's okay. So we're still two days. Sure, we've got some time. In the Happy New Year. So, Happy New Year to you Happy guys. Happy New Year! And... We have a guest. Hey! How's it going? <laughs> yeah, this is our guest, Philomena Duffy, for a second time. Hey, Phil, how hey. are you? Thanks for joining us again. Oh, thanks for having me. We were saying our first repeat guest. Mm. Phil works at the ISO with us. It's an honor. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you. I think this is going to be a fun episode as well. Because um, today, we decided we're going to start a series of things that we might we might do more of these in the future of some of our lists of top whatever in classical music. Today we're going to talk about our top symphonies as some of our favorite pieces. Mm-hmm. But as we know, we might make other lists in the future. There's way more to classical music than just symphonies. And so we were just talking before we went on the air here about other possibilities that we could do. But this is our first one. We want to try it out. Um, so I've asked you guys to come up with your top five symphonies. You sent them to me last night. Mm. How was it? Easy. I we You and I were talking earlier, Jacob, and we were talking top ten, and I got very nervous. I was like, okay, I know at least my top five, but I'm going to have to think about those last five and maybe get a little creative. But top five, easy for me. It was hard for me to dwindle it down to five. I sent you many more than five. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I categorize them in my brain. Like, there's a difference between pieces that I've played and pieces that mm. I've just listened to and then pieces that I've analyzed through school. I went, I was a music education major. Um, so, a, you know, a limited surface level of, of musical knowledge. And that, you know, I found that I was really being affected by the pieces that I've played because mm-hmm. it was a completely different experience. Yeah. So, yeah. it was hard. <laughs> that is a really, it's a definitely an interesting phenomenon when you've, I find that conducting as well, if you've played a piece, um, it's very hard, I find, when you conduct a piece to not get get rid of or kind of not pay attention to the first time you played the piece because yeah, it's it. so formative. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, it's interesting with pieces that I've never played, I have a very kind of objective idea about the tempo, about all these phrasings. But if I played the piece, even when I was like in youth orchestra, 12 years old or whatever, I have these very strong feelings about, like, oh, you know, maybe it was my middle school conductor. They took this really slowly, so it should be that way. Mm. Even if it doesn't say in the score. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. Yeah. But that can certainly affect what someone's favorite piece is. And I wanted to, because we'll talk a little bit about, as we listen to the to little excerpts from your guys' favorite symphonies, we'll talk about why they actually are your favorite symphonies. But I first want to talk about just why we're... We're doing this in the first place because I think classical music is not really 
like many other art forms, it's not actually something that really should be or is well suited for being ranked. It's not like sports. It's not like there's a huge amount of subjectivity mm. and personal taste and all that kind of stuff that's very hard to say this person's right, this person's wrong. And actually on this podcast, our hope is that people don't feel like that at all. You know, anyone's anyone's top five favorite symphonies are their top five favorite symphonies and that's mm. that's great. So it's it's I don't think it's particularly well suited for that. But we wanted to do this anyways because I think one, it's hopefully it's fun. Hopefully we'll we'll have fun on the podcast and it's fun to listen to. But I also think it's a good way to give people recommendations for mm-hmm. pieces to listen to. There's so much stuff to wade through and so many composers, pieces, yeah. whatever. I think that, that might help. Yeah, as a newcomer, I think people often are overwhelmed by the amount of options that they have. It's like entering into a world that's of a different language and sometimes it, it very much is in yeah. the classical music world in a sense where you're so overwhelmed that you sort of just throw your hands up and then you you leave because it's too overwhelming for you so yeah. I hope that this is helpful for for um, new beginners yeah that's that's the main goal yeah. yeah and when I was going through my selections for the symphonies that we chose I was basically listening to like my favorite parts of the symphony mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of times, you know, it's it's frowned upon to, to, you know, pick your favorite parts and only listen to that. And mm. you have to sit through and listen to the whole thing. But for the at-home listener, I feel like I'm on Food Network. For the at-home cook, for the at-home <laughs> listener, like, it's okay to just listen to those parts that, you know, really inspire you. And you don't have to sit down and listen to an hour and a half of Mahler yeah. every time you want to listen to Mahler. So, yeah. For sure. I think that is that is true. And I'll also say, though, that... Um, Part of the other reason why I want to do this is because, at least for me, and this is this will be an interesting thing, because part of the reason why we have you on today, Phil, and why Hannah is always here and why I'm here is that we can give perspectives from very different mm. levels of background and, and, um, and points of view about music. And one thing that I want to, that I took into consideration in... Um, evaluating my favorite symphonies is something that if you went to a concert and had to sit through the whole thing all four movements are worth the time mm-hmm. worth it's something that can be captivating for a long stretch of time because i think there's two different ways to look at this and maybe as we go into our actual things we can we can parse some of those out. There are great moments of music in certain symphonies that are excellent, but sometimes I imagine when, if if there's a great moment in a symphony that's otherwise a little less interesting to, you might go to a concert and be like so excited that you're gonna get to hear this great moment, but then there's an hour of music that you're not as interested <laughs> Just by. Just waiting for your favorite yeah. moment to happen. Vice versa, there are probably some, probably a lot of my picks today are things that would sustain my interest for a long time but might not have like a blockbuster moment or two. Yeah. And so there's a very in the in home and the in the concert experience can be different and I think they're both that's one thing we encourage on attention to detail yeah. is listening at home you can pause, you can stop, you can go back, you can listen to your favorite moments over and over, figure out why you like them. Yeah. But I guess 
also going, um, anticipating that moment that you're looking for, but also allowing yourself to explore the rest of it. It's as if you're going to an art museum because you know that there's one Van Gogh piece that is like world renowned that you want to go see. Exactly. Allow yourself to go and see the other, the other things in that art museum that's also going to help motivate you as you walk along and then you finally reach that, yeah. that piece. I think this is the same way. Like for allow sure. yourself to listen to all these other things because it's going to help you inform that piece that you're looking for. I agree, and I think the other main reason why I wanted to do this, um, we were talking about it just just before we started recording as well, is that unlike a lot of other art forms, literature and um, film, in music we don't really have, except for a few exceptions, we don't really have a lot of titles Mm -hmm. for, and if we have a title... um, Mahler's Second Symphony, which we're going to talk about today. Yay. The title is Resurrection. Resurrection, exactly. It's a very indescript title. It's one word. Like that's the kind of the best we get. So mostly, it's usually referred to as Mahler Two or mm. Dvorak Nine or Mendelssohn Five or whatever. And those are very kind of impersonal titles, and they sound like almost clinical, just like and. It, it, I think it hammers home, when we talk about symphonies that way, it hammers home the idea that, like like you were saying, all the good composers wrote all good symphonies. Mm-hmm. All the less good composers wrote less good symphonies. Like, we'd think maybe Dvorak 1 is just as good as Dvorak 9, just as good as Dvorak 5, whatever. And it, 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 it makes people, I find this in art a lot, you see a Van Gogh painting, you assume that it's really great. You see something by someone you don't know, you assume it's not as good as the Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. And hopefully this can help like help people will give some actual recommendations, but also try to listen to these things on a more personal and narrative way. And each sy- symphony is kind of its own emotional journey, and it's not just like another number in the mm-hmm. in the composer's output. Mm-hmm. So with that, let's let's get going because we actually have. I was realizing if we had done top ten, this would have been an insanely long episode. <laughs> top five is still gonna yeah. be a struggle. Top five keep is it brief. <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll keep these things brief. But who wants to who wants to start? We'll start with our so, guests. I guess. Yeah. So give us a. Uh, you sent you guys sent me your lists before, so I have had a. I, I know what your lists are, but for our <laughs> listeners, start us off with, with one of your top five favorite symphonies. Okay, are they ranked at this point? Is this my least favorite? I didn't know that we were ranking. And we don't. So uh, let's, it's hard rank. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's let's say these these made the cut. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll start with Beethoven three Eroica. I'll give it its formal name. Excellent. Um, and then I my favorite it's. Okay, let me roll it back. I, I love this piece, one, because I played it in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then music theory class, every year we took a piece that the orchestra was playing, and then we analyzed the score. So this is one that's pretty close to home, um, and I had a lot of time to really spend with the score and with the piece. And um, I used to be an oboe player, and the oboe solos are amazing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Beethoven 3. It's a big oboe solo, and, and you mentioned to me you wanted to hear the second movement. I, I pulled up. Uh, I didn't pull up the oboe solo from the second movement. It's I'm really, sorry. Uh, but... Beethoven 3 is an excellent... Uh, you can't really go wrong with Beethoven. That's, that is... He's one of the few composers that I think 1 through 9 all really good. Yeah. But 3 is excellent because 
as we were talking about before, every movement I think is yeah. is worthwhile. Um, and let's listen to a little of the second movement, which is a funeral march. It's very. This is very the, certainly the most dramatic, painful music from this symphony, and so I chose a very dramatic, painful section. So here's a little of Beethoven 3. So that's uh, one of the more dramatic parts. What? Tell us uh, a little bit about. You said a little bit. You 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 played this piece, but what 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 is it that you particularly like about the second movement? So the second movement, it's very solemn. It's sad in the beginning, um, and then of course, as an oboe player, there's this little like ray of sunshine in the oboe solos that come through. And then from that moment on, uh, it doesn't lose any of its solemnness. It still stays very serious, but it's a little bit more uplifting. So it's this nice change that happens. It keeps everything, you know, grounded and it's, uh, it's hard to find the words for it. But it's, again, there's this like little, little ray of sunshine that comes through and it doesn't make it any less serious, but it does make it more yeah, yeah, uplifting, and I yeah. think that it's hard to do that, and it was it's very powerful to listen to all the way through. Yeah, well, I think this is an excellent... We'll, we'll start right now at the beginning, because we, unfortunately, nature of a podcast, we can only play, like, 30-second clips of these pieces. <laughs> but the goal is, hopefully, to go and listen to the whole thing, because these really don't give enough of a full sense of what this piece is like. And like you said, I mean, this is one tumultuous spot, but there are uplifting moments in this funeral march, then it ends again very solemnly. And it's interesting to consider, as we go through these pieces, it's also interesting to consider one of the things that I think Eroica is an excellent example, but what makes a really good symphony, unlike, I mean, great films can have, or great plays, whatever, can have elements of comedy and tragedy and stuff like that but this is like a you know painfully tragic movement and the next movement is really it's not comic but it's very jovial and joyful and the last movement is also really happy excited but very academic in a certain way it's like you can get so many different journeys in one symphony I almost find it well I do find it more interesting than watching a movie, but that's because I'm a conductor. (laughs) (laughs) So, Hannah, next. Uh, um, What do you got? Give us one of your five. So, I guess not top of my list because it's number one, but perhaps it's because it's the piece that sort of turned on the light bulb for me for classical music in a sense where I saw it perform live and I was like, oh, this is this is cool. Like, yeah. I'm going to be listening to classical music forever now. And that piece is um, Debussy's La Mer. Uh-huh. It is just so epic to me. And the first time that I saw it perform live, I like felt like I was there 
on the sea on a boat with the orchestra and we were like journeying together so that for me was just um it's an important to, piece to me just as an individual yeah the um the second movement i didn't send you movements of yeah. any of my pieces but the second movement to me is really nice i love I love the harp as an instrument. Yeah. Um, I think maybe because I'm a big Florence and the Machine fan from like being a teenager, and the way that Florence Welch uses the the harp in all of her um, songs are just it's just fun for me. So I think like that's got a, like a piece of myself in it. So you've mentioned I that mentioned before, it a lot. Yeah. But I, I still haven't listened, unfortunately. I um, I'll send I'll send you some of mine. Yeah, yeah. Please do. I unfortunately pulled up my favorite excerpt That's from this nice. piece which is not from the second movement but it's from the end of the first movement but I think one of the one of the most amazing things about this piece that you pointed to it has harp it has it, it uses a lot of different instruments mm-hmm. and different orchestral colors and that's what I think is there's so many amazing things about La Mer but one is the orchestration all of the different sounds that he can get from a symphony orchestra yeah. and so I pulled up the end of the first movement which is the, the in the first movement the sun rises mm. on over over the sea it's like you're looking out at a sunrise on the horizon and then it eventually gets to midday or noon or something and it's this super bright mm. moment so here's the end of the first movement of la mer If I were ever to walk in the, into battle, I would want it to be to that. You think? It, yeah, it's just so epic. It is like, epic. I want to walk into fire to that. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's not really like pump up music, you know. I think it would get me. It's almost like rebirth. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would go into battle. I think I would need something more intense to go into battle. You're walking away from battle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I just I just won. Yeah. I think that would be mm-hmm. like. I mean, it's it's. I'm it's, walking into the battle knowing that I'm gonna win. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That would work. That would work. I like that idea. Okay. La Mer, one of the best pieces. It's also, mm. for for kind of more beginner listeners, I think it's it's a great piece to start off with or something. It's because, really rewarding to listen yeah, to, I think, for a first-timer. It's not that long. Mm. There are three kind of seven-minute movements. Each one tells a little bit of a story. I think it's a great yeah. get-your-feet-wet type of piece. I'm going to go the opposite direction, go with a super, super long symphony. I actually, I feel since you stole, I, since you sent me more than seven, I stole one from you. Oh, um, I know what it is. Yeah, I took one from both of you, actually. Um, 
<laughs> because I made my own top five separately, and yeah. we had a little bit of overlap. But That's I'm great. taking it's a lot of people's favorite symphony, but yeah, Mahler too. Yeah, it's, it's okay. a fantastic, it's, it's a fantastic symphony that I recommend everyone listen to, and it's I think the thing that makes it such a such a great symphony. I think this is the true mark of a great symphony, as we mentioned. Each movement really captivating, but also from my perspective, I th- it's I, I think you get a little bit um, you start evaluating different things as you get more experienced and or you listen to more pieces, kind of like how well the thing is actually composed, how efficient the ideas are, how, all these things become more important, mm-hmm. and it's. Um, you start looking at more of the elements of composition and not maybe so much at just the pure sound sure. and the emotional content and stuff like that. And this piece delivers on all fronts. It's like an amazing piece to listen to for the first time. It's an amazing piece to listen to for the hundredth time. It has a very clear narrative arc. It's um, it's about, uh, I mean, it's about kind of the resurrection and you in the last movement for example you you hear the apocalypse you hear a nightingale which is supposed to appear um right before the dead are resurrected you hear the the last trumpet it's a very evocative scene but then there's also all this content before that happens um it's epic some a lot of people think it's the best ending in classical music and so i encourage people one of the things i used to do as a as a teenager we we were talking about listening to our favorite things on repeat i listened to the last five minutes of this symphony probably a a thousand times wow that's a callback to what i said at the beginning of the podcast saying like it's okay to listen to your favorite moments i mean it's kind of like like gluttonous if you listen to the last Mm. four minutes by itself (laughs) because you don't deserve it like you haven't (laughs) been through the journey (laughs) i agree you have to earn it a little bit but i listened to it and i was like no this is great like (laughs) i don't feel bad (laughs) it is better when you've listened to the whole journey but when you're in a pinch and you only have four minutes it does the job by itself it's like we have this piece um Prelude and Liebestode by Wagner from from Tristan and Isolde, which is a like five hour opera where all this stuff happens. <laughs> Both of the main characters die. It's really painful. It's a kind of a Romeo and Juliet type story. But Wagner made this arrangement, and you skip from the prelude to the Liebestode, which is like this transformative. You know, it's when she finally kills herself, and it's mm. the most. Uh, but it's beautiful music, and the opera takes five hours to musically and narratively to transform what happens to. And you just you cut out the middle five hours, and you hear the first five <laughs> minutes and the last five minutes. <laughs> and it's like, do we really deserve this? This is kind of <laughs> cheating. But he he made the arrangement himself, so it's it's a similar thing. But I'm actually I, I want to play a little clip from. Another one of my favorite, anyone can go listen to the ending of the first movement, but but um, maybe my favorite movement in the whole thing is the very short fourth movement, um, and I think it might be the most beautiful brass chorale in the history of music, so I'm going to play the beginning of the fourth movement.
what do we think of that one? It's, it's good, right? And it's I, what I like about this piece, and it really, uh, Mahler in general, people think of Mahler as this very epic, dramatic, huge composer, but also that's really a very simple chorale and kind of Bach-esque in a certain way, and there's tons of moments. If you happen to get a chance to listen to this whole symphony and not just the end, there are so many moments that are also inward like that, tons of different characters. It's, it's fantastic. Mm. We'll get some more Mahler later because we've, yeah. we've got another one coming up. So we're back to you, Phil. You got another one? Yeah, short and sweet. I Prokofiev won his classical symphony, um, another piece that I've played, and it is just delightful. Like I think it's a really good... Um, I don't know, a good way to start with classical music. Um, it's really more neoclassical. Um, he does a lot of cool things, and the selection I chose was from the third movement, um, which is truly, it's just lovely. Yeah, it, it, this is, I, th I thought this was a very interesting choice because I don't think it would be, I don't think a lot of people would put it on their top five favorite symphonies, and I think, um, like you said, it's a really good piece. It's, it's similar to a lot of, I often find it difficult to decide or rank or put on a list like this any symphonies by Mozart or Haydn or something like that because they don't necessarily have the same like narrative huge narrative arc that like a Mahler two does. But like you said, they're they're delightful. And in the case of Prokofiev one, like you said, it's it's a neoclassical piece, which means that it it sounds classical, but there are also interesting moments where he inserts like a wrong note somewhere or a little weird lick of some kind. And yeah, it's it's a fantastic. So I'm very glad you chose this. It gives us a little variety, and and it's it's another really short piece like La Mer, and like you said, very good to start with. Good choice. Yeah, so we analyzed this in music theory class, this particular movement, and it's a trip. Like, if you look at the chord structure, it's constantly changing, and it sounds, it's very pleasant to hear, yeah. but it's shifting a lot, so it's, yeah, I, I was, like it. I was just going to mention, it's like, it goes, bum, ba, da, ba, ba, bum, bum, ba, da, and it slips into a key that someone like Mozart Haydn would never mm. include. For a brief second, that's where it's neoclassical, it has a wrong note. And then it's right back into this D major, which we would expect. But it's it's a fun one to listen to because a lot of Prokofiev and Stravinsky's like neoclassical stuff, it's very fun to listen to. And then there'll be a wrong note somewhere, or a, but they're well placed wrong right. notes. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, it's it's interesting stuff. It's cheeky. Like it's very it. cheeky. It's fun. Um, back to you, Hannah. Sibelius Five. The ending is just I think my favorite ending of all endings. They, Interesting. He like makes you wait for it. Yeah. It is so epic, and I find like 
intense but almost a little comical because if you've not heard it before people get a little nervous because they're like do I clap oh do yeah I clap? do I clap and then you finally get to the last one and then you can finally I don't know I just <laughs> I enjoy it so much I'm glad you enjoy it because the ending of this symphony is one of the things that I struggle with the most because mm. I kind of hate it the accuracy <laughs> like honestly I respect so much like the accuracy of everyone on stage when they're performing oh. it because you all have to be on it it is so insane it is the most nerve wracking mm. ending for a conductor yeah. because you have these long silences and then you have to give a huge yeah. there, there are all these really loud chords you have to give a huge cue in silence yes which is always the most nerve wracking thing like it when as a conductor, if you start a piece that's super loud, there's always a brief moment you have to cue it and you land, mm. and either people play or they don't play. Yep. And if they didn't play, you look like an idiot. And of course, yeah. they always play, but there's always that feeling of like <laughs> it's yeah. it's nervous. I imagine it's like a figure skater when you like when you make a big jump, yep. you're in the air for a sec, and you're like. Am I gonna I'm going to land or I'm not going to land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's that. I watched the um, Leonard Bernstein conducts the, I forget who's, he, who he's conducting, but there's a, a YouTube video of him conducting. He's like crying through the piece because it's beautiful, but yeah. I like to like tease in the back of my head. He's crying because he's thinking about the end. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I understand that. Well, I have to tell you, again, I was choosing all my favorite parts. I don't love the ending of this piece, but I encourage people to go listen to it. The, the third movement is amazing, but the ending of the first movement, I think, is actually maybe the, one of the like maybe the greatest end, symphonic movement ending. The end of the first movement is super exciting. Sometimes I listen to it at the end of a workout because it gets me so excited. So uh, <laughs> let me play oh for God. you. Let me play for you. It's either that or Nielsen's Fourth Symphony, which I almost included in my in my list of top five. Not quite, but. Listen to this is good uh, end of the workout mm-hmm. music right here. Uh, ending of the first movement of Sibelius Five. It's so good, right? It's so good. That's a fantastic. And I was telling you guys while we were listening, you just you turn up the treadmill speed a little bit more and a little bit more until you're just like, at the end, ideally, if it was safe, you would just fall off the back of the treadmill. <laughs> um, nice one. Really good piece. I, I would have considered another one that uh, all three movements are fantastic. The only reason why I wouldn't include it is because of the ending. Yeah, but that's okay. As a listener, there's no risk on my Yeah, and it, well, <laughs> exactly. But I it's a great thing for people to go listen to. See mm. see if see if they uh see what they think about about the ending. So we're back to me. Um Okay, this one I think is 
this is my like sleeper, but I I actually think this is maybe my single favorite symphony mm-hmm. ever composed. Um, Schumann's Second Symphony. Um, this is not a piece that really suits itself to 45 second clips. I've pulled one, but this piece I find to be an unbelievable um, composition. It's so tight and it's so unified and but also there's a very interesting historical narrative journey behind this piece because Schumann wrote this piece right after I'll just give a two second primer in case people want to go listen to it because I think for this piece specifically the history is very important he wrote this he was Schumann was bipolar Mm -hmm. essentially and he wrote in these kind of fits of mania and he was on these highs and he had a long spell where he was very depressed for like a year and a half didn't write anything and he said that this symphony is what kind of nursed him back to health and this was the first thing he wrote after that and then he had this incredible time of production where he wrote some of the most famous and best pieces he ever composed and Schumann had in addition to kind of being bipolar he had kind of a split personality in a way and he was a famous critic and he wrote in two voices one was a very traditionally masculine, testosterone-driven, kind of aggressive, tumultuous person. And the other was much more inward, sentimental, sensitive, shy. And it's very interesting because most of this, and he had those voices in his works as well, and most of this symphony is very tumultuous, macho, especially the first movement. But there's a moment he was struggling with how to write a symphony after Beethoven, who was the ultimate macho, aggressive, testosterone-driven, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a moment in towards the end of the last movement where you'd expect it to end this big triumphant finale, and it's and he completely shifts course, and suddenly the music is inward, sentimental, sensitive. It's like this is really the the type of his personality that he actually was. He mm-hmm. was he was needing to put on all this fake masculinity, mm-hmm. aggressiveness, whatever, because uh, that's what society or sure. that's what music history told him he needed to do. And really, he was a different type of person, and that's what brought him out of this kind of. Yeah. And so, I think it's a very it's a very poetic piece in that way, but it's also an amazing piece. So, I pulled a little clip, but I'd encourage people to go. This one, listen to the whole thing because it's it's well worth the time. if people go listen to this this whole symphony that clip will also have a little more context but 
he does this great musical thing where he brings back the very beginning of the symphony at the end, and it's like this culmination of all of what you've heard. Um, it's like, you know, writers do that occasionally. They bring back something from the first pages at the very end, and it's it's been changed, and yeah, it's a fantastic piece, so I recommend it. A little bit of a sleeper. It, it takes a couple times to, to get into it, but it's... I didn't actually like it the first time I listened to it, but give it a chance, listen a couple times, and yeah, it gets better. All right, back to you, Phil. All right, this one's a bit of a curveball. Um, Mazlanka Symphony Number no. 4. It is a wind symphony because I am a band nerd at heart. Um, so this is a piece. It, I grew up Protestant, and it starts off with a very familiar Protestant theme, and then just takes that theme and then throws a bunch of wind instruments at it, and it develops. <clears throat> What's cool about it is that at the end, it finally resolves, but it resolves and then it takes it away almost immediately, and then it keeps resolving, and then it throws in this this like crunchy chord, and then finally, it's a very like Mahler too ending, mm. where it's like, it's landed, we've oh. made it, it's huge. And it's it's great, I imagine not many people have listened to it all the way through, it's not long, and I highly recommend it. That's cool. I had never heard of this piece in my life, so this was definitely a curveball for me. <laughs> yeah, good yeah. job. Um, that was, uh, yeah, so... Do you have a, what should we listen to? Because I didn't know what to pull up from this. Let's listen to the end. Maybe okay. the last two minutes. Sweet. Start there. Let's do it. Here we go. Maslanka Symphony Number no. 4. Maslanka. That was pretty sweet. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. I actually like the sound of, of wind ensemble. I'm surprised. It's so cool. But it's a, yeah, it's a very It's edgy. Yeah. Nice nice <laughs> yeah, recommendation. Thank you. Yeah. There we go. Okay, we're throwing some curveballs out there. Mm. Hannah, you got another one? Beethoven seven <laughs> Nice. That was also that was again one of my uh Oh yeah. That's a steal from me. But that's okay. I'm just gonna shorten my I stole Mahler too from you, but sure. you do Beethoven Seven. We, we won't give you fifteen symphonies necessarily, yeah. but Beethoven Seven, I agree with you on. I love it so, so much. I think if like I'll, it's my like desert island. Like if I were only able to listen to one symphony for the rest of yeah. my life, it would probably be Beethoven Seven. That's. I think that's a reasonable choice. It gives you so much in yeah. all four movements. Like, oh, it's just so good. Yeah, mm. it's it's also it's an interesting one because I think. Normally, what I would look for in a symphony is four movements that have all a little bit different characters mm. and stuff like that. Definitely the second movement of Beethoven 7 is, is very different. Yeah. But the first, third, and fourth are all very kind of joyous, yep. exciting, get you out of your seat, mm. motion-filled, but it's still somehow each one is so enjoyable to listen to. The strings in the second movement... Or just yeah. so insane. It's it's yeah. it is a it is a great piece. So here's I chose the beginning of the fast section of the first movement. It's one of the most famous and it's 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 really good. 
Yeah. What a jam. It's it's fun. It's yeah. just a really good piece. Mm-hmm. I, uh, that one is we can agree upon. <laughs> it's really good. Um, my next one. Uh, this one I think is also maybe a little bit of a curveball, but it's also, it's not technically a symphony. It's called it's Rachmaninoff's Symphonic Dances, mm-hmm. but it's basically a symphony. Um, one of the last pieces Rachmaninoff wrote. Um, he was not. People don't generally think of him as like a A-list symphonist in the same way of some other composers. He was really more known for his piano concertos, his piano pieces in general. But I actually think this piece, incredible command of the orchestra. It has so many interesting colors, and also it's it's so tight. When he got older, Rachmaninoff became very. He was originally this super expansive, lyrical, long-winded composer. The second symphony, which is a lot of people's favorite, is is like more than an hour long. I think it's not the most efficiently written piece. But this is a nice kind of 35-minute, three movements, very tight and very interesting piece. And I want to highlight one of the most famous moments from this piece and also excellent use of orchestration from Rachmaninoff. This piece has a saxophone in it, a very famous saxophone solo, and it's such a great color to add to the orchestra. So here's, here's a little bit of the first movement of symphonic dances. think that it's a good melody right the guy knew how to he's really good at writing melodies that's for sure but whole piece fantastic and really actually just like really fun to listen to I I recommend that one as well all right uh the other Mahler my one of my favorite Mahlers is Mahler 3 and I think it's just totally underrated I think that's another reason why Prokofiev is on the list because I like the the underdogs yeah that's Um, good it's easy to overlook 3 when 2 is right next to it but um, it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly why. This was one of the first pieces of its caliber that I listened to over and over again. There's just so many good themes in it. I feel like there's something for everybody in it. Like, there's there's so much go- going on. Um, but I do have to admit that I, I stick to the front end of the symphony when I'm listening to it a lot. When I get to the final movement, I don't always listen to it. I need to be upfront about that. I need you to tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Um, but yeah, and the, there's a lot of really great horn lines in it. It's just, it's it's really good to listen to. So you don't like the last movement? I don't want to say that I don't like it. It's just not as flashy as its, uh, mm-hmm. as its friend. For sure. Front. For sure. And I think that when I start listening to Mahler 3, I'm in the, the headspace of that's what I'm looking for to listen to. Mm-hmm. And I don't, it's a very different mood at the end and I'm not sure I always want to get into that interesting let me let me give a, a 30 second breakdown of 
of this piece in case people want to listen to it all the way through. And maybe this will change your, me, yeah. change your idea of the last <laughs> movie. There's, this piece was, Mahler was very much in the, um, at this point when he was writing, he was very into the philosophy of, of Friedrich Nietzsche. And this piece is dir- like has a direct Nietzschean inspiration. And so the first movement is this massive movement that kind of stands on its own. It's supposed to just paint a picture of this kind of um, what's the what's the word um it, it, this kind of like polytheistic uh, landscape. There's the 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 character of Pan is very. It's, it, it paints this picture of, of Earth in this in this um, Pan's Earth. I don't actually know exactly what Pan is. It's like a he's some sort of like old god. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, but then the second to the fifth movement all represent um, different kind of stages in Nietzsche's philosophy, where there's this idea of there's these kind of planes that you can reach at various levels of enlightenment or whatever. This is in uh, Nietzsche's book, Zarathustra, and a couple others. And the the first level, or the, the most kind of superficial level, is um, the second movement, which I think is like what the animals tell me or something is the name of the movement mm. something like that maybe that's the third movement which is I think what the what nature tells me so these are and that's like you, you get these various levels of enlightenment from interacting with various human elements of the human experience and so it's interesting the second movement sounds very kind of Superficial, it does, yeah, and like easy entertainment. One, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very cheap, easy entertainment, but that's very intentional. It's fun to listen to, but it's also like this is the most basic. Uh, then the third movement is a little higher. It's this big nature scene. I'm going to play a clip from the third movement because it's my personal favorite. Then the fourth movement is the moment. It, it's this kind of midnight moment. Um, which for Nietzsche, midnight, there's a scene in Zarathustra where there's 12 tolls of the bell and then he like becomes enlightened or something. So midnight is the moment in this kind of weird space where you become enlightened. And so there's a spot in the middle of the fourth movement which is sung by a singer, there's a text, and suddenly it switches from minor to major and it slips into this sort of enlightened state and the fourth movement is the the crux of the piece and then the fifth movement is I think what the angels tell me it's with a boys choir and that's like the first level of an enlightened state it's very high it's very it's it's kind of weird music and the last level is w- w- the last movement is what love tells me that's supposed to be the highest level of enlightened state. I, I don't know if that's true. But. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you know it's it's a nice romantic idea, but but it's it, what it ends up being is like it's a very slow. Uh, emotional movement but it's it's it is long it's maybe 18 minutes but it's you've achieved this highest state of enlightenment and it's what what you get from 
the experience of love as opposed to like the the less enlightened experiences of like nature and animals and maybe this like is that. a personal problem that I yeah maybe we <laughs> maybe we've really isolated something here for you no I'm I'm kidding but it is it is it's a very cool ending actually it, it grows very slowly but that one you have to commit to I'm gonna listen to this slow unfolding music for a long time yeah I think that one gets earned like the like the Mahler 2. Yeah. You feel better about listening to that one if it's in this progression. Um, here's a little clip from the third movement, what the, what the animals or what nature tells me, one of the two, I can't remember, but it's, it's excellent music. short clip but you can hear in there some animals you can it's kind of a little bit in a way I think intentionally superficial music but it's really fun to it's fun to listen to and it gives you that sense that you're not quite enlightened yet I feel like I think it's a, <laughs> so Hannah do we have do you guys have is this your second to last one second to last I only have one more but let's hear yours uh Dvorak 9 oh nice which excellent I think is people consider it like a cliche symphony like that was on my list too oh was it yep it was, wasn't it? Um, I I think it's more well known to people, which is great. Yeah. And I think like, listen, if it is cliche that it's on my list, so be it. And also, <laughs> also like, those terms are like true for a reason. Do you know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. Of so, course. Um, what I love about uh, Dvorak Nine is there's the end of the second movement is yeah. so mm. beautiful to me. It's for me. It sounds like the feeling of like saying, like goodbye, farewell to like a friend that you love so much. Yeah. It it encapsulates that feeling to me so much, and then also the beginning of the third movement is just yeah. epic. Well, it is. I mean, it's very quite literally that second movement is kind of uh, saying goodbye to his homeland. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's, um, and I agree with you. Dvorak Nine, if it's cliche, then so be it because. I'm here to tell you also as a as a more experienced musician it's it's one of those pieces that is great to listen to the first time and is mm. a really brilliant composition and so Dvorak 8 which is also a very fun piece to listen to I actually think is a little bit less strong of a musical comp it's not as rewarding the 20th time that you listen to it mm. Dvorak 9 really really mm. first class piece so I chose because there's so many kind of folk melodies in this piece I imagine a lot of people have heard the second movement or mm. can but I chose an, uh, a spot from the third movement which I personally enjoy and it's, there's, there's a lot of good spots in this piece
Yeah. Agreed. Great piece. Highly recommend. Um, as you were saying, Phil, the English horn solo in the in the second movement is the famous one, but mm-hmm. um, all four movements really, really good. That's actually that's a piece where all four movements are masterpieces mm-hmm. and stand alone. They're really impressive. Okay, so my last one, my most, I think, uh, just straight sentimental one, but also an amazing piece. The piece that really, I think, to a certain extent, got me really interested in orchestral music is Brahms' Second Symphony. Um, it's it's just a it's just a really really good piece. All four movements again, all masterpieces. Great ending, one mm-hmm. of the best endings. But for the you'll like this, Phil, because I chose the beginning of the third movement, which is an oboe solo. <laughs> um, uh, it's just it gives a nice little sense of th- this piece is a very charming piece actually, mm-hmm. and this is a nice little charming oboe solo. to all the way through mm-hmm. as all of these are so is uh maybe this is your last one phil My last one. yeah okay yeah. what do you got uh and as we've been speaking i've been sort of flipping back and forth i've been listening to everything you've been saying very intently and also deciding my brain which one i want to choose um i think for the sake of a callback i'm gonna go shasti five nice. um because if i were to walk into battle the finale would be what i want mm-hmm. oh, oh. I good choice um and it's just an excellent piece and it it it's a little bit, and I said this word earlier, but it's a little bit crunchy, but still very rewarding to listen to, and I, I just, I like it a lot. Yeah, it's a great, also loaded with history. I'd encourage people, if you're going to listen to the piece, we won't review it now, but, but go and do a little read-up on the history of Shostifa, one of the most important pieces in the history of classical music, and one of the pieces in classical music that I think had the largest impact on politics, society... Mm-hmm outside of the world of classical music. So, highly recommend. I we're doing it right now here at the ISO with uh with the with the kids and side by side. Oh. Yeah, yeah. This Jacob's is conducting. Yeah. That's right. So, in March, we'll uh we'll play it with with a bunch of talented high schoolers mm-hmm. and and the ISO. Um here's a little bit of the beginning of the fourth movement. Thank you. 
All right, excellent choice, Hannah. You're gonna mm. you're gonna close us out. Wrap us up. Um, a piece that we've recently talked about on the pod. Yeah. That I wanted to be sure to include in my top five is Bruckner Four. Oh, nice. Um, I think for me, I just enjoy the piece in general, but also it's got a lot of meaning because we've talked about it on this podcast yeah. and we've really studied it and explored it. And for me, that's not something that I've been able to do before, yeah. before this podcast. So that has added additional meaning. And I hope that maybe for our listeners, this could be on, on their top top five yeah um and i just enjoy it outside of all of that i think the horns in bruckner four are so much fun to listen to yeah it's the way that it ends it's like meant to just like go up into yeah the the air it's it's such a fun listen and it's rewarding if you give it the time and effort well in lieu of uh playing an actual clip we can just Listen. Tell people to go yes. listen to our previous yes. podcast on Bruckner 4. There's a lot of clips in there. So go on yeah. back. Enjoy it. <laughs> it's an excellent promo for uh, mm. for a previous episode. Well, yeah, so I think... So let's let's uh, wrap up our list there. I think we've covered a lot of the bases, too. And we, we've left out also huge swaths of the repertoire. Like, we, we didn't include any classical or pre-classical symphonies. Yeah. And there are tons of good ones there. We... Uh, left off entire composers. We have no Richard Strauss, no Mendelssohn. No Brahms. No, I had one Brahms. Oh, Brahms Just too. kidding. We one Brahms. Brahms too. No Mozart, Jupiter um, Symphony. Yeah, exactly. No Mozart, Our no religion. Haydn. Um, but I also think we covered a lot of a lot of good bases to, to begin with. Mm-hmm. And um, like we said at the beginning, I hope these can serve as as recommendations, but also as kind of, I, I would encourage people to go and, you know, if, you, if you're if you interested by one or two of these, like you said with Bruckner 4, we have the episode up on Bruckner 4, but also do kind of a deep dive of your own on one or two of these symphonies, because I think, what, what I really want to push to people is that regardless of your experience level, I think you, you can attest to this, Hannah, and, and to, to a lesser extent, maybe you can also attest to this, Phil, like, you don't need to be at any particular level to appreciate the dramatic narrative arc that mm-hmm. a symphony has. And so some of the greatest... For example, Mahler II as an example. Mahler II has so many musical... It's like... I think I've said this maybe even on the podcast before. It's like it's like James Joyce... Um, mm-hmm. In a way, like, but it's better than James Joyce in a way because when you, if you try to sit down and read James Joyce, there are so many allusions to uh, history, to religion, to other literature. You, you can barely understand the language unless you're just like a literary genius expert. And there's so much of that in Mahler where you only realize it the 150th time you've listened. Mm. Like, oh, he's quoting himself. Oh, he's quoting another person. Oh, the form that he's using is actually a variant of a form in this symphony, whatever. And then the great thing about Mahler is that there's also huge portions. I mean, the whole symphony you can listen to it for the first time and it's really enjoyable. Mm. You don't need to pick up on those things. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's... I'd encourage people to do deep dives and try it out. Sure. Yeah, just get out there and listen. Yeah. Any of these pieces, 
And I'm curious to know what our listeners think, too. Hit Send us, us up. your favorite five. I yeah, I would love to know some of our listeners' uh, five favorite symphonies, so give us a, a visit on attentiontodetailpod.com and, and let us know what, what you think. Throw us a little bit of a rating once in a while if, you, if you're enjoying the, uh, the podcast. Leave a comment. Even leave a comment and say yeah. what your favorite five symphonies are. That would be great as well. So everyone so can see. Yeah. You can leave it anonymously. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Phil, well, have you written and, and rated and reviewed and subscribed? Are there good anonymous posts that are already on there? If so, those ones are me. We're going to kick you off right now. <laughs> no, no after, do it right this, now. after this, you're going off and, and rating and commenting and subscribing. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for joining us, Phil. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. For more information about this podcast, you can find us at attentiontodetailpod.com, where you'll find a list of techniques presented in these episodes, and a two-week program for starting your own listening practice. You can also find us on all of your favorite social media channels. We encourage you to follow us, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you enjoy the show, please give us a rating. We hope to see you soon at a concert. <laughs>